0: My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides, making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history, and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Apocalypse, apocalypse. Said, why you wanna show up? Good morrow, Eumenidites. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, bringing to you another episode of Euripides Eumenides, a theater history podcast. I have some pretty exciting news to share, but before I do, let me say hello to where I'm seeing some new listeners. Hello to my listeners in Chile, and congrats on the super long coastline, and hello to my new listeners in Mexico. I hope you're enjoying the show. Okay, I'm sorry, I can't even even hold it. Okay, for serious though, I can't wait to share this. I am currently in the process of setting up another in-person episode. This will take place near the end of September 2023 on the Community College of Denver campus. It will be a panel discussion on a juicy topic that may have many interesting and nerdy opinions in response to it. And I probably shouldn't say too much more... But we will be having something of a celebrity guest sitting on the panel. I'm sure I'll say more as news develops, but that's about all I can say for now. I just met with several members of the proposed panel, and they're all just as excited to meet you as well. Okay, (sighs) all that excitement aside, let's get to today's episode. A long friend of mine in the theater, Aaron Butler, is the executive director of the Wyo Theatre Performing Arts and Education Center right here in Sheridan, Wyoming. She has overseen quite the expansion at the YO over the last several years and is responsible for maintaining the whole operation which has meant so much to so many. The YO is actually closing in on its 100th anniversary and Aaron and I talk about that a bit as well and another new initiative that the YO presents known as YO Play, a series of workshops for community members of all ages to work with professional teaching artists many of whom live right here in Sheridan. So, When Aaron agreed to be a guest on the show, it just seemed natural for me to talk about another job in the theater that required such logistical prowess. So, let's get right into it. Here's today's episode, The Master of Rebels. Well, it was rather fortunate that you had some time in your schedule today. (laughs) I'm so sorry. That's okay. That's okay. I had I had lined up two, and both of you went. Wait, I've got something, and I went. Like, okay, But Fortunately, um, I have this really well planned out, and really thought out. But uh, hey, Aaron, good to see you again.
1: <laughs> you too, always. <laughs>
0: like I always think about the, uh, you know, uh, it's always the network of people around you that you know helps you find the next project or whatever, and I'm like. I think I've known you and Sheridan longer than I've known most people. And that's, that's surprising to me, but also that's cool. That's cool that we haven't (laughs) chased each other. (laughs) Well,
1: and the story of meeting you, I still remember this. Uh I've told you this maybe, but this has been a long time. So perhaps you don't remember this story. Uh The first time I met you was in high school.
0: Oh, nope. I remember
1: at a speech and debate oh, there it is. Yep. because because legitimately you were like the guy like all the speech and debate kids were like oh my gosh there's no, no, no. <laughs> it was like it was like a thing and i remember distinctly i was in rehearsal here at the y-o and you came in it was like when you first moved here it was like weirdly starstruck i don't feel like i should tell you this, but i'm telling you it now and I was like, "Oh my god, it's Tyrion! Remember? Well, he's the guy from the Speech Debate. He was so good. He's here right now."
0: <laughs> uh, my fans spread the word. I was at one time legendary. <laughs>
1: Still is, but that was—I so, don't know. It, I, I, I just always think about that because it was like so wow. funny, and I was just like,
0: "Yeah, <laughs> so excited." What do I do? do? I do I curtsy? A little <laughs> bit. I do. It's
1: like sort of like like. Uh,
0: no, I I don't remember that. But that's, that's, that's a wonderful story. It's been
1: many years. I love
0: that story it's been now.
1: Many many years. As already said, we've known each other a long.
0: Time. Yeah, yeah. But you have been in this position as the executive director of the YO Performing Arts and Education Center, and that's a new title for me too. Yeah. Because for a long time it was the YO, and and speaking of that, you have this really cool event coming up about the building. Yeah the 100th anniversary 100th. of like the creation of the building, which originally was the Lotus Theater, which was this really cool vaudeville theater for a number of years. Then it became a movie house. My fans and listeners, uh, this is where the uh, Trident Theater did the classic horror film showcase. I can't remember what we called it, but uh, okay. we only did it that one time. And butler and i were kind of the curators of this thing and trying to figure out what movies we were going to do and somebody fairly influential came in and they said hey are you going to do psycho and we're like well we thought that might be a little far back we kind of wanted to catch a you know a younger audience he's like oh that's too bad because i remember coming to this here in this theater my parents brought me to it when i was 10
1: yes right It scared the crap out of
0: him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. I'm sure he didn't shower for weeks. I but... think
1: he left crying. I think that's the thing. Oh. I think that's what happened. He's like, this is my memory of the Wyo.
0: Oh, <laughs> see, no. no, that's awesome. But yeah, so so 100 years. Uh-huh. That's huge. That's huge. Isn't it crazy? And it's been the Wyo for what now, 35?
1: Well, even longer because in the 40s, they whatever it was called at that point. At one point, it was called the Western Place for Western People, which is, like, my favorite title ever. Because <laughs> um, they thought they would, like, attract the dudes from the dude ranches. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they had the women dress up in these cute little, you know, like, mm-hmm. Western clothes, and they called it this thing. Anyway, in the 40s, they had a competition to name the theater. Oh. Yeah, and some really imaginative person came up with, you know, <laughs> the bio I can you imagine? And so that that's how it became the YO. the YO. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's, that's
0: funny. funny. I never knew that story. Yeah. It's, I never knew that it's, story. It's, it's amazing
1: funny. to me. i like, sometimes we love oh. ourselves too much here in Wyoming.
0: Yep. Yep. A little bit. But this is such a cool venue, though. It, so uh, technically, it's a roadhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, local events that go on. Uh, the YO produces a number of things. Like, this whole YO play initiative that was started recently has just... Taken off like a wildfire,
1: yeah, it's been really cool. it's been it's been fun to watch and exciting to get into the schools and do more work there. And the other thing that's really I, I guess I didn't expect it, but it's become such a great aspect of the program, is that we're hiring all these teach local teaching artists, yeah, so so we're helping the community understand what that means, yeah, right. <laughs> and then and then also getting paid to do this kind of cool work. Um, okay, I gotta get, so get all
0: the books for that one. It's
1: good. <laughs> uh, well, we want you to. I know. So I know.
0: To, to, to. I've been busy. I know. I
1: know. Uh,
0: <laughs> but um, not only that, though, what's really cool is not only is it focused on local stuff, and yes, we bring in acts as they're as they're coming through, but you know, we give people access, or the Wio gives people access to things that they might not usually be able to see like Mm -hmm. you have the series from uh the met for the opera Mm -hmm. that's amazing the national theater in in uk we talked about the creation of that a few episodes ago but yeah i just think that's that's amazing so what would you say you're interested in looking for the yos future
1: oh boy well i hope we're still here (laughs) (laughs) Oh, COVID, yeah, <laughs> we kind of put that in doubt for a lot uh, of theaters. Yes, it did across the the country and the, mm-hmm. the world. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, that you know, the mission and the vision has always sort of been s- the same, in that we 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 simply exist to support our community and to like help enrich the the arts area. So. So certainly that Yeah,
0: yeah. Just keep it going. Keep, right?
1: it, going. I, honestly, keep it going. I honestly think yeah. that's 100 Yeah. I'm yeah, like, just we're just here and we're still doing things.
0: Mm-hmm. But what's kind of cool is like you'll take you'll take not necessarily risks, but you go, maybe we can open this up to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I known people in this town who've lived there their whole lives and they've never been here yet.
1: I know, isn't it weird? That
0: is so that's wild to me. I'm like, there's yeah. and 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 it's for a number of stupid reasons. Right. You know, I mean they're like Well, I don't know how to go about getting tickets. Or I actually had somebody tell me once, I don't know what to wear.
1: What?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Like, just don't come nude. Yeah, right. We'll we'll work on it other than that, you know? Actually, the one series that that you do every year, the the Western film series, has to be one of my favorite things just for the people watching.
1: Oh, my God, for sure. Oh, my
0: God. Because that is the event where it's like, oh, my God, they're showing Red River. Yeah. Well, I got to get the big cowboy hat. Of course. Gonna dust that one off, yes. and I got to wear my church clothes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to town to watch a movie, well, and well, that's going I'm getting off the ranch for the one day a month that I'm allowed, mm-hmm. and going into watch a show. Yeah, you're not wrong. And here I am with you know my flat bill cap and my right. sneakers, and, and like well, okay, we're just all watching a movie.
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating <laughs> series too. People just freaking love it. It's so interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny is like they're all classic, yeah. but some of them you're, you're starting to go, Whoever thought that was a classic? <laughs> like, I'm kidding. I'm
1: kidding. No, no, but you're it's not right. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> there, there have been a few. I'm like, Oh, we showed that.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. Cool. Well, awesome. And you've been in this position for how many years now as executive director? So interesting.
1: This is my eighth season. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So longer than I expected.
0: Yeah. Well that's I great. That. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And you've seen it through some major changes. I mean, it is now expanded to cover most of a city block at this point. So that's pretty cool. That's really cool.
1: It's it is. It's it's super rewarding and it's so fun. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, Aaron, thanks again for being on this and uh Well, uh, I brought you here for a reason, (laughs) and I usually like to start these with a question of my guest. And since we just talked about you being in this position for now eight seasons, I will ask this. Uh -uh. Is there any job in the theater you haven't done or would like to do again?
1: Ooh, Probably.
0: I mean your your background is primarily tech Correct. and stuff, but you've yeah. done marketing, you've done marketing. fundraising, you've yeah. done all kinds of crazy stuff. But you know, you you've done stage management and and everything like that.
1: You know, there's things that I do here that like I would am surprised that I have to do on occasion. <laughs> uh,
0: the toilets are gonna clean r- themselves so oh, yeah, Aaron.
1: I cleaned out vomit <laughs> from the sink not long ago, which was really unpleasant, but <laughs> That's just something that
0: happens.
1: Yep. Um. I guess I've never run sound. Oh. I've never okay. run sound. I mean, to any real yeah. degree. Like, I've, like, stood in front of the soundboard while, you know, the technical director was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. You I gonna
0: see? I'm to go Press um, go. Yeah. So,
1: I don't, I've really never done that. Sound. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, today, we're gonna discuss something of an obscure job mm. in theater history. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm excited. In 1347, <laughs> during the reign of British King Edward III, written into the year's wardrobe budget mm. is a line including provisions for the procurement of tunics and masks to be used specifically for the Christmas entertainments that were performed in the royal court wow like just a line of the budget yeah get the tune. we must
1: have these we
0: must have these we will set aside funds specifically for those
1: i appreciate how thorough they are
0: (laughs) that's something i find about about this like so much is made out of like a single line or two from one document that you know people much smarter and who get paid much more to do this than i do uh They pour over it, and they Mm -hmm. they figure things out. Like, just a couple episodes ago, we were talking about Thomas Kidd, who was a contemporary of Shakespeare. And it's like, we don't have a lot to go on, but we wrote a lot about it. (laughs) Right,
1: right, right, right. We just really wanted to imagine what that was was like.
0: So, many years after the reign of Edward III... Payments had been noted for all kinds of different entertainments during the reign of King Henry VII, that's Mm -hmm. 1485 to 1509, as entertainments held by the court had become an important political tool. They would continue to be so for many years to come. So during Henry VII's rule, a specific person was appointed to oversee the creation and implementation of each entertainment or scheduled event or revel, as we will now call them. This person became known as the Master of Revels.
1: Oh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What? Yep. That's where it came from. It exists.
0: Yeah, okay. Okay. During the reign of King Henry VIII, when these rebels became more and more frequent, an officer of the wardrobe Uh, was first officially hired under the Master of Revels, even though it sounds like the titles were held by different people at different times. So, you know, it'd be like, you know, we have a play and it has a different director and a different cast and everything and maybe a different stage manager and then another show will come up and it'll have something different. In 1534, Uh a man named John Farleyan, I think, F-A-R-L-Y-O-N, was given the patent to serve as the yeoman of revels and would serve specifically under the Lord Chamberlain. So now it's one specific office. Wow. From the best I understand, the Lord Chamberlain is kind of like a city administrator for the office of a mayor, you know, the Lord Chamberlain would basically make sure the business of the crown was handled and that the vision of the crown was upheld.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Now, when I say that, I don't want to make it sound like someone was appointed simply to keep the party going.
1: <laughs> but that's awesome.
0: <laughs> In a way it was, yes. Yes. Certainly, these revels would serve the purpose of displaying the wealth and magnificence of Britain, a method of showing its power in a way. But beyond that, more importantly, revels were actually a very important part of crown politics. I just kind of hinted at it, but here's a quote that I found in an article. Okay. Revels could be used to imply diplomatic or political positions, and all Tudor monarchs turned to revels at one time or another for these purposes. The reports that were sent back to the native countries of ambassadors present in the Tudor court paid careful attention to the messages embedded within the ceremonies, spectacles, and revels.
1: Wow, that's crazy.
0: <laughs> Come here. Yeah. We're going to show you some stuff. Yeah. To think about.
1: Just, to, just, so, yeah.
0: You had a great time. Huh. Remember, we're the lions.
1: Right. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just why the lions were there.
1: That's
0: amazing. Uh-huh. Isn't that something? So therefore, the Master of revels had a particularly difficult duty of making sure that each revel maintained a particular theme. Mm. Thus, each entertainment and all elements of it had to be meticulously planned to match the theme.
1: Wow.
0: Now, a lot of times when I was reading these, it was like for holidays in the religious calendar, you know, particularly like Christmas or mm. Easter, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it could be just about something like... This was the time that I met the queen, and we're going to celebrate that. Uh-huh. And everybody should come and notice that, because my queen is the best queen, and everybody needs to see that. And her favorite color is purple. That's why everything is purple. So take your purple ditty bag. Right. That's
1: crazy. <laughs> what? That's so... That's... That blows my mind.
0: But see, I mean, that's, that's also like... You know, you've had coordination on stuff like that, where... Sure. You know, I mean... Okay. So, um... For years, it has been called the gala. Is it still being called the gala now?
1: Oh, it's all... No, it's it's now the premiere. The premiere. Yes. Okay.
0: But it is this huge event where it is, like, the the Y.O.'s major fundraiser every year, Mm -hmm. and that's a great, cool thing. You get a really popular, well-known musical, Mm -hmm. usually, and tons of people come to it. Yeah. But there's stuff like T-shirts, and there are flyers, and there are giveaways, and they all have logos on them and everything, so... Mm -hmm. That hard to imagine exists.
1: (laughs) Wow, we're the master of rebels, or yeah, mm
0: -hmm. so perfect. It seems fairly obvious that these rebels were mainly entertainments of great spectacle, Mm -hmm. okay, and could include any manner of entertainment that could be devised. Oh man, that kept propriety. Here are some of the more obscure ones that I found: Uh, horse dancing. This has to be like, you know, the fancy equestrian, but it's in court. Trusology. So they have somebody in a fancy costume oh. on a fancy horse and fancy livery, you know, doing the little prancing and everything and and people are just, you know, applauding their little golf clappies. Yeah. Horse dancing.
1: I I would, like in only like legitimately like horses like dancing. <laughs> if only that were true. Like
0: get up and you yeah, know ballroom dancing horse. <laughs>
1: Amazing little
0: outfits. And audience, you get to vote on your favorites. Um, Okay, this one was weird. Bear wrestling. Whoa. Uh Uh-huh. Now, as near as I can tell, this was not bear baiting, which I'm sure you know what that is. That's where they would have, like the bears in like a pit and they'd sit dogs on it.
1: And, oh, and, yeah, 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 okay.
0: Uh, it was a very popular sport in like taverns and uh, on the shore and everything. So not really a court thing,
1: uh-huh.
0: but I think it was something like you'd either get a big, strong, burly man representing Great Britain or a certain faction of it and okay. maybe wrestle a bear or it might be just bears fighting. I couldn't
1: really tell. Well, I mean, the term bear means many things. It's certainly these does These
0: days. Yes, yes. I've been called that a few times. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but what it does imply are the lengths to which the Master of revels would have to go for court entertainments since bears had to be imported since they're not native to yeah, England. Yeah,
1: right? That's what I was just thinking. I was like, how do they get the bears?
0: <laughs> they have to order them. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, please my I meet late. my bear within seven days. That's why I pay for Prime. That's right. Uh huh. Okay, here's another one. It, it was just in a list, and I couldn't find anything else. Women on stilts. <laughs> <laughs> says women on stilts. Women on stilts. Oh, come on, come on. Do we need to describe that any further? I don't think so. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> oh God, women on. Stilts. We just had our rodeo here last week, and there was a guy. <laughs> On stilts, oh, and uh, and and it was a longer parade route than it has been in years past because we have some street construction going on where it usually goes, and I'm like, I don't, I wonder if they really talked to that guy about, (laughs) you know, you're going to have to walk on those for several miles, actually. Oh, funny. Yeah, man. I'm game. I'm I'm game. I'm good. Count me in. Um okay so here's here's the last one i found that was kind of fun sensual delights and sexual teasing oh mm-hmm. this was primarily during the reign of charles ii who has made frequent appearances on this podcast regular listeners will know just how promiscuous charles and his inner circle were just and it. the restoration era was a great loosening of morals particularly in the upper class ah. mhm wow so in some rebels <laughs> Women may not have been presented in the greatest light, but nonetheless entertaining.
1: Uh, yeah. hmm
0: I kind of think of it as incredibly tame burlesque. You know, they couldn't sure. strip or anything like that, but sure. there was a lot of hmm? uh-huh. suggesting. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also important to remember, though, that it was under Charles I that women were first allowed to perform on stage in Britain. Oh, so
1: what?
0: I guess that is something of an important step. Sure, what fun displaying these rebels! You can be on stage too, I guess.
1: Yeah, fine. <laughs> Come on up.
0: Hey, menadites, I'd like to know if you know of any other rebels that you've heard about. It can't all just be horse dancing and women on stilts, right? I mean, look, I know that there was a lot more than that, but I'd love to hear about any other really weird ones. Or, for that matter, if you have any other ideas you'd like to hear as possible topics for the show, reach out to me. The email is trident at tridenttheater.com You can use the contact us form at tridenttheater.com You can also follow the Euripides Humanities or Trident Theatre Instagram accounts and drop us a DM there. Can't wait to hear from you. Almost as bad as I can't wait to get back to my discussion with Wyo Theatre Executive Director Aaron Butler and the second half of our discussion on The Master of Rebels. So without further ado... So, jumping back a bit in the timeline from Charles II, as the 1500s went on and the Renaissance blossomed, the theatre industry grew, and theatre became something of a staple in Rebels. Although it could be argued that it had already been in Revels for years, as there were characters playing parts in masks and dances in any way. I mean, we already got the tunics and masks to, to present different, different characters. In 1581, the Master of Revels was given the authority to license plays not only for royal court performances, but basically also for performance in public.
1: Ooh. Yeah. 1581. 1581.
0: So basically, huh. because theater had become so prolific by that time and because any company strove to play at court, like it was the, basically the Broadway of its day, that's where everybody wanted to go, mm-hmm. it became more efficient to have a single person in charge of what could potentially be seen in court.
1: Hmm.
0: So if you're going to put it towards the public, the public really likes it, then there gets to be a buzz about it, then then they're going to bring it to court, Right. So, you have to have somebody in charge of everything that's going to be seen uh-huh. because there might be things that should not be seen in court.
1: Sure.
0: Okay. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, did somebody drop trow or anything like that? <laughs> right, right, right. But, but, you know, it's more like subject matter. Not only that, plays basically had to compete with all the other various acts that were also competing to be seen, oh. and all of them had to match specific themes, right? So each revel also had a specific time frame, huh. okay? Some might be for incredibly powerful guests who have just been invited for a few hours, or it could be that the revel may last for days or even weeks, and invited guests would come in and out, out as they please. So everybody's trying to get their act into this thing. It seems like it was implied that if it was for a shorter time period, it would be of greater value to the performer
1: uh-huh.
0: because those were the big people who were coming to see that. Right. People who could just come and go as they please then they're like well, somebody might pick me up but you know if I'm there for the king's feast and he's invited the king of France yes. and the king of Spain then they all might see my act
1: Yes, you know. Actors never change though. No or they out, don't. Turns out <laughs> <laughs> the profession. I might get
0: seen I might you get seen.
1: Check me out. Yeah. I'm still here
0: so the Master of Revels, then, gets a lot of power mm-hmm. when it came to what could actually be seen on stage in England. Sure. Here it is. So here's a, uh, here's a quote I found from a, another article. Anyone involved in the production of plays in Elizabethan England, from the playwright to the theater owners, knew that the Master of Revels was the man to impress and fear. For he auditioned acting troops selected the plays they would perform and controlled the scenery and costumes to be used in each production.
1: Whoa. Whoa, dude.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> one guy over That's all it. of that. That's it. it. You do everything. Like, you uh, you set, have the thumbs up or thumbs down on anything in the entertainment industry.
1: That's a lot of power.
0: That is a lot of power. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just think about the time, though. Like, you know, everybody's got to play. Hell yeah. I mean, I, it has always been a challenge for me to just sit down and read something. You know, I'll sit down and read a play and I'll put it down after 10 minutes and come back to it like three days later and read another 10 pages and I go, oh, I forgot what it, you know, if I would just sit down, it takes, you know, two hours to perform the thing. It would take you maybe an hour and a half to read it. I can't do that. No.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That guy was, uh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. I would assume.
0: Uh huh. The Master of Rebels had the authority to shut down a playhouse or company until requested changes could be made to scripts that were to be performed.
1: Oh, sure.
0: Mm-hmm. So if... I, I think I've heard of that, you know, if they've changed something, like, after mm-hmm. they submitted it to the Master of Rebels, and then it went against what he said, well, he could just go, well, you're done. Sorry about it. Yeah. If you if you want to change, the, change it back to the way I approved it, yeah. and that's great, but... No, you don't get to do this without.
1: So, how do you think they knew that? Like, they had to have like little spies watching all the things. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, I mean, I think in those days it was just everybody's talking, sure. everybody's talking to everybody, you know, and things get around quickly. Yeah. You know, I mean, you had your system of carrier pigeons.
1: True. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else to do but right. chit chat. <laughs>
0: So, <laughs> And I mean, I think London itself at that time was still really condensed. Yeah. And kind of a nexus in the middle of everything. And so, yeah, you, did, you weren't going too far, I don't think. No. Yeah. Huh. Now, this authority over everything uh-huh. also changed with whoever was in the position or on the throne, more or less based on what could be considered acceptable oh. in front of an audience at court or as a representation of political leanings. Wow. Uh-huh. For example... A master of rebels of particular notoriety named Henry Herbert turned down a play in 1631 as his written in his office book. And these guys all carried an office book. Uh-huh. You know, it was it was their entire ledger of everything that they did. So this was this was something from Henry Herbert's book in 1631. I did refuse to allow a play of Massengers, us play playwright, mm. because it did contain dangerous matter, as the deposing of Sebastian, King of Portugal by Philip II, and there being a peace sworn twixt the kings of England and Spain. Apparently they didn't have that at that time. Hmm. So you can't just portray it on stage wow. that these two countries are getting along yeah. when they're not.
1: Right. <laughs> Whoa.
0: You can't show that.
1: So this is like... Yeah documentary
0: style theater yeah it is but check this out later that year herbert licensed a play called believe as you list Mm. which many scholars recognize as basically a reworking of that same play that he turned down but rather than modern day portugal spain and england the play was set centuries earlier involving three different kingdoms
1: oh fine we can do that we can do that
0: (laughs) The circumstances that have led to the whole plot are still here. Yeah, right. But it was Abyssinia and Sumatra and I don't know. I mean, just, I'm... <laughs> okay, dude,
1: whatever you yeah, say. Yeah, have fun. I guess you're in church.
0: Uh-huh. Here's another example of censorship based on the throne. It was partially because of all the religious strife from Henry VIII to Mary I to Elizabeth I that Elizabeth declared the following. For instruction to every one of her officers... That they permit no plays to be played wherein either matters of religion or governance of the estate of the commonwealth shall be handled or treated, mm. being no meat matters to be written or treated upon but by men of authority, mm. learning and wisdom, nor to be handled before any audience but of grave and discreet persons. What? So no religion, no government talk. Wow. I mean, you can talk about government, you just can't talk about our government right now. Right all
1: right in this time what right? well, seriously like, I'm like I mean what is the happening?
0: religion talk you know we can talk about any religion at this point it seems like but uh <laughs> but you talk about government don't you dare do not you dare whoa I mean that might be part of why elizabeth ranged so long
1: well right because <laughs> nobody could criticize her openly
0: no, we could talk about it yeah uh here's yet another example going the totally opposite direction okay during the reign of Charles II, his censorship looked a little different. Listeners of my pilot episode, The Consequences of the Interregnum, are a little more familiar with Charles' governance. Mm-hmm. But as you may recall, his reign was known as a restoration as it restored the king to the throne after a civil war and 11 years without a king. Mm-hmm. So naturally, in order to restore the morale of the people, Charles demanded that revels mentioned no talk of treason no criticism of the king or the throne, and absolutely no mention of the Puritans.
1: What? <laughs> don't, talk don't
0: talk about it. it. Don't it talk about anything
1: at they, all.
0: They were here. They were really jerks. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, they basically forced Charles into exile. They dethroned his father and had his father executed. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that. But <laughs> if you're going Not to throw me an ever-plunging neckline on a lady, that is 100% okay. See it? <laughs>
1: always works. Always works. Always
0: (laughs) works. So, while the Master of Rebels had a lot of power and a lot of censorship authority, there was a lot of potential to lose that power. Mm. So you can kind of see that. I mean, you do have the king at the head of everything, and everything's trying to impress the king or the queen. So remember uh, I said earlier that the Master of Rebels reported directly to the Lord Chamberlain, you know, the kind Mm. of, the the guy, the business officer. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: Many men who held the office of Lord Chamberlain would often let their subordinates know that if the king was displeased with their work, they could be let go, and would often suggest that if the affront was too great, the Master of Revels could be executed. Oh, damn. What? what? I don't think it was anywhere in official policy anywhere, just a... Now you know. Did they do it? I couldn't find any evidence of that ever happening uh, in Britain. I think I heard some suggestion that when they had Master of Rebels in Ireland, they might have had a couple of them give oh, well, shit. But, that, but,
1: but yeah.
0: yeah. And, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, I don't think it ever was really happening. It was just the threat was there. Sure. You know, it's is like that, that one threat from your parents that if you ever do such and such, right. this will be the we thing. To like, you. <laughs> you'll be dead.
1: You should try that with your kids.
0: That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds great. I, I, feel
1: like they
0: I gotta go record this episode. If anything happens, you die. <laughs> <The end. laughs> yeah, okay. Now this also meant that the master of revels was tasked with making sure that a revel was entertaining throughout particularly to the monarchs, so no dead spots at all. Oh my goodness. Keep it going.
1: Yeah. Keep it high. Wow.
0: Thus, the Master of Rebels would often have to have a variety of acts on deck, ready to go oh, at any time, all still pertinent to the theme, and at the slightest hint of disinterest from the king or queen, or even the distinguished guests. An act would be removed, incidental music would instantly play, and a new act would come on.
1: Jeez, how do you know? Like, what? What is the sign that oh, someone's like not oh, having a good time?
0: Oh, this is great. This is great. Not all acts did get to perform, but nonetheless, they would all get paid, even if they didn't perform. And it was something of a system under Charles the, Charles II. If the king yawned three times, uh-huh. the master of revels would be relieved of duty.
1: Oh my gosh, three times! that's times! The magic number.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, he had a good sleep.
1: Whoa, I hope he knew that rule. <laughs> no idea. He's he didn't just like care. yawning. Yeah, magically. just like, uh, oh, great, we need another one. <laughs>
0: particularly busy uh, fox hunt today. Lots of sun.
1: Jeez.
0: So yeah, um, uh, as I said, I kind of wrote, wrote it over it. But um, think about that. You're an act getting to go on. Like you've gotten to the, the court. And if the rebel ends before you get to go on... You're not seen.
1: Oh, right. They
0: still got paid.
1: I heard that part and I was like, I don't think that's what we would do.
0: (laughs) Well, that's where the term break a leg comes from. Like in vaudeville, you know, if you broke the leg line, then you got paid. Yeah, right. So that's why they say, I hope you break a leg tonight. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but yeah, apparently it was so important just to have those lined up that they were just willing to pay for it. Amazing. I know. (laughs)
1: People right? <laughs> loved art so much back then that they just paid for it without even needing oh to see God. it. What, and what a time.
0: time! What a time! Take
1: me back. Like I don't want to be the guy who is the revelry.
0: Oh, I was going to say, as the executive director... <laughs> like, it sounds stressful. kind of writing the checks and everything. Uh, <laughs> so this role of Master of the Rebels really saw the height of its strength during the reigns of Elizabeth I and her successor, James I. When the Puritans started growing in number before the English Civil War that I talked about, theatrical activity was discouraged even more and more, and through the interregnum it was abolished completely. Mm. So no theater then. Mm. And up until the Puritan takeover, the Master of Revels still had its censorship duties. Because of course they did when the Puritans were coming up. Yeah, we
1: don't we talk we don't talk about those guys though, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: but that's after oh yes you know, and when they get yes, yes. when they get ousted and Charles comes back we we don't talk about that yeah. but while they were there they were just like make sure that there's no dirty nothing
1: right <laughs> oh
0: I know I, I'm certain I have people who listen to this show and sometimes go that is not what, how that worked that is not what happened I'm like look I'm not a historian. Right. I'm a theater enthusiast. Sure. I just like these stories. Yeah. And everything I found here, I found on the internet. <laughs> so, so it's like, it's out there. Context, maybe we can add some. But it was the thing about the Puritans that they were trying to purify England right. of any Catholic practice. Uh-huh. Any little slight could be considered. Oh, that's Catholic or or that, that leans Catholic. i I I'm not I'm not for that. No, thank huh. you. So, when Charles II took the throne in 1660, I think, uh, the Master of Rebels obviously became very important again. And as I suggested before, the censorship duties were a very important part of the job. <laughs> Don't talk about the Puritans. Mm-hmm. No criticism of the King of the Throne. Right. And make sure it's fun.
1: <laughs> Most importantly. Fun. <laughs>
0: because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's what the people in the Restoration liked. Oh, my God. I described it on an episode once where the restoration audiences are all these incredibly wealthy, fancy people uh-huh. and they're in their best clothes. But they are the people who will just come to a show to be seen sure, and talk to each other loudly during performance.
1: Ugh, so rude.
0: And the lights were on during the whole thing. Terrible. So they're just sitting there, you know, like watching the show and they're like, we were going to have dinner the, tomorrow night. Yes, yes, no, shut it up. I'm having a flirt with this girl next to me. You know, I
1: mean, oh my God, how annoying!
0: And you're on stage right. just going, I'm getting paid, I'm, I'm getting, getting
1: paid. Fine. <laughs> wow. Wow.
0: Now the censorship duties became pretty much the sole purpose of the job throughout most of the 1700s. The, again, the Puritans came kind of into power, and and in 1737, the Licensing Act was passed. Mm-hmm which was essentially an act hmm. to prevent anything provocative from being seen on a stage, in a theater, or in written works at all. They're like, wow. don't do it. It's improper.
1: Who, d- who decided? Who was who's the...
0: I, I think you just this, this this might be one of those times when you just have a lot of people who gasp and clush, clutch their pearls sure. a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter like if a if the breeze blows a girl's skirt up. It's shocking and yeah, right. it never happened and it let's pass laws. <laughs> you know. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of kind of the thing and uh, huh. what ended up happening <laughs> and this is kind of interesting because years ago you directed Cabaret. True. all this prurient content ended up only being seen in private clubs <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah so it's not it's not official it's not for no. general consumption right. you have to be a member of the yes, club. yes yes
1: yes, yes.
0: Ah, then you get to see the girls and all of their naughty clothes anyway only 13 masters of the rebels officially worked under the crown 13 13.
1: Whoa!
0: Yeah. Last one was appointed in 1744 and ran through 1786. Wow! Oh. Yeah. They had a long stint. A lot of them I had a long so. stint. I mean, the first one being appointed, what, like 1581 or something like that? In mean, 1544, the official crown title. And I think in 1581, they finally got all the titles to censor things and everything. But yeah. An official role... Of the Examiner of Plays was later created just for censorship purposes only. Uh-huh. And the job existed until 1968. No. Yep. When the Theaters Act was passed, officially ending censorship on the British stage. What? <laughs>
1: examiner of Plays? The
0: Examiner of Plays. If you wanted to have your play performed on a British stage, it had to pass muster from this guy. Whoa. And I've talked a lot about George Bernard Shaw being absolutely critical of that, being Irish and being like, well, I'd like my place to be seen. And they're like, yeah. no, it's a little too provocative. And he's like, fine, we'll do it up here.
1: So many years. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, I think, I can't remember if it's right around this time. That's also when the uh, anti homosexual laws were overturned oh. in Britain. Okay. So yeah. I think you just had a society of people who were like, Look, can we just have some fun?
1: Right. It's been (laughs) eons, people. Good Lord. And I mean, you know, Stonewall, right around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Amazing.
0: And that, Aaron, is the brief story of the role of the Master of the Rebels. I love it. Master of the Rebels. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I've been on boards. I just got on the community theater board here again, and... You know, the first time I was on it, I was like, God, this is going to be great. We're going to be able to, you know, just uh, the theater, right? And then yeah. you're like, oh, there's business aspects to this, too. Yeah. And then there are things like, well, the shows that some people might want to see, other people don't want to see. And yeah. the shows that w- these people want to see, uh, well, these are the, the ones that don't want to see it are the ones paying for tickets. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of that stuff has to be taken into consideration. So of course when uh, I said hey Aaron Butler would you like to come on the show and do a podcast you're like yeah I went master of rebels we'll talk about that
1: I love it <laughs> I'm so happy to know that and that's something yes like just With women on stilts I'm like never gonna women on that. stilts <laughs> and
0: horse dancing and Horse dancing oh my god <laughs> All right. awesome. one of the horses has a broken leg well we have the women on stilts right I <laughs> had yeah, we dodged we that, have that bullet. <laughs> You, Matilda, can Come do on. you know how to get on yeah, stilts. Do it. Oh, just try. Just try. It's <laughs> fine. It's for yeah, the good it says king. right here, women on stilts. <laughs> <laughs> we already published it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that you have felt in your position. <laughs> like a Master of Rebels. Oh, I'm gonna start people. yawning three times and see what happens. Ooh, that would be something. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. nothing. I don't <laughs> think will happen. Gosh, does anybody here have that kind of clout or like what did they think?
1: Oh boy. So and so is real tired. Really real tired. What do we do? What do we do now?
0: Let's see, that's why you have the uh, concession stand. True. To get people to really enjoy the show.
1: Absolutely. That's what yes. Absolutely. Yes.
0: There we go. Master of Rebels. What do you think? I love it. Yeah fascinating there's something in it it's 13 only 13
1: is kind of crazy
0: well i mean you think about it like think 13 presidents ago
1: well that's
0: That's a ways but at the same time like some of them yeah they had a very short time uh i think for one reason or another you know i don't know i i didn't get far Mm -hmm. enough into it to see if anybody was let go from their position or or if you know god forbid they were executed
1: well yeah that was that's thing it happened, <laughs> you could happen apparently imagine oh my gosh that's like us now like oh you're really bad at your job
0: I would love to see the board come to you one day Erin and go well ticket sales were down for this series so we have to remove your hands yeah and uh, let that be a lesson to you
1: I would have no body parts left <laughs> <laughs> that were <works real>. true. <laughs> I got funny little stumps <laughs> oh man a lot of, a, lot of, a lot
0: do you think, Eumenidites? Think you could have been a master of revels? Sounds like there was a lot of power in the position, but an equal amount of anxiety. (laughs) Nonetheless, I'm just glad everyone had a good time. My many thanks go out to Erin Butler, who has long been a fan of mine and the show, and I have to give her thanks for the many times she supported the show by allowing Euripides Eumenides to be recorded on-site at the YO. Plus, our first in-person episode was recorded there, and I'm so excited to get another one out to you shortly. In any case, this is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater signing off for another episode of Euripides Humanities, a theater history podcast. A new episode will be in your ears in another two weeks, and I will see you at intermission.